Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When, when reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, what a blessing it is to come um, here and join um, with brothers and sisters and worship you. Um, Lord, I just pray for this coming week um, in, the, in the list of things we have to do that we would just remember why we are doing these things. Lord, that we would never um, gloss over, um, that we would never um, just become um, just, uh, that we would just always have be in awe of what we are celebrating, just the amazingness of the God who created all coming and being born as a baby, that that would always just be a wonder in our hearts. Um, Lord, I just pray for Mark. Um, just be with him. Um, Lord, as we are listening to him, that we would just keep open hearts um, and humble minds um, and that we would just grow closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's Advent. It's Christmas season. And we're going through 1 Corinthians. It seems strange, right? Isn't normally the Advent season, that's when you're reading the Christmas story and you're getting the background and, and, and that's true and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about going through the Christmas story and reading it through Luke or Matthew. Uh, but the reality is in the end, all of Scripture points to or anticipates Christ. He's the focus of this book. He is the one who, the New Testament is the, the fulfillment of what was anticipated and prophesied in the Old Testament. And so as we go through even 1 Corinthians, we can see or hopefully we'll be able to see how this passage not just anticipates the coming of Christ or the second coming of Christ, but points back to what Christ did coming as a baby, living the perfect life, dying the death on the cross and rising again into heaven. And so, uh, so we, we continue to go through these passages because it all points to him in the end. Now, next week, 
We're not going to do 1 Corinthians. I'm actually going to work through Isaiah chapter 9 or part of Isaiah chapter 9. So it is Christmas Eve and we're going to focus on that. And even at the candlelight service, we're going to hear the Christmas story read. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to do a short devotional at the beginning that's all focused around the, the actual passages of, of the Christmas story. But we have to remember, even reading through 1 Corinthians and even hearing what Paul has to say to the church, it all anticipates Christ. It all anticipates and points to him and what he's doing in our lives as his church. So this letter is written to believers. It is written to Christians. Not just, yes, specifically to the Christians in Corinth. It's written to them for specific reasons about specific things that have happened within the church. But it also then helps us who are Christians today to be able to read this and be able to search our own hearts, ask us the same, very similar questions, and then to think about what is our life with Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is the calling to be a Christian? And what does that, how does my life should, how should my life change or my thoughts change or my attitude change? And so the Corinthian church is filled with Christians They are truly believers. Paul calls them saints. He calls them brothers. But the church had allowed boasting and pride to begin to seep into the life of the church, not just them individually, but the church as a whole. They had forgotten that they are servants of God, that he had bought them with a price, that he had made them stewards or managers of his gospel. And because of this, because of his call for them, they were to serve an audience of one, to serve their master and Lord Jesus Christ, to be faithful to him, to proclaim his message of hope and salvation to an unbelieving world. And Paul makes it clear again in these chapters, in these opening chapters, they are believers. So as we hear what he's going to say, And as we work through what he says in today's passage, we have to keep that in mind, okay? Because those, they are true saints. They are true children of God. But if one wants to move forward in maturity, spiritual maturity, the truth has to be spoken. If you have a child who's disobedient and getting in trouble to poo-poo what's happening and say it's not that big of a deal, instead of confronting the issue at its core, nothing, nothing will change. It's like putting a Band-Aid over an open wound that is just bleeding constantly. Nothing happens. Something's got to happen. So we got to get right to the core, and that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to get right to the core. He's speaking very directly to the Corinthians in the passage today. See, Paul desires for the church, the Corinthians, to grow into spiritual maturity, both as a whole body of Christ, but individually also. And he says in, in four, chapter 4, verse 14, I do not write these things, so we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks, but he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He talks about how he's a father to them. So he's seeing himself as their spiritual father, saying, I have to be direct with you to correct your thinking, 
to correct your way of living and how you are responding to my teachings. His words are a warning and an instruction. It's a correction to the church. Too many times we hear harsh words within Scripture or even from our parents or from an authority figure and we immediately think like they're against us. No. We make mistakes and we have to be corrected on them so that we learn from them. This is what Paul is doing. And to do this, for some of you, this is going to be really hard because to do this, Paul uses irony and sarcasm. He uses it to get his point across. There is bad irony and there is bad sarcasm. Do not read these words, that into Paul's words, okay? He is speaking this way, and at, at times he speaks in hyperbole too, in order to get his point across, to make it obvious you're not thinking correctly and you're not acting correctly. And so the first thing he does is he reminds them that they are who they are by the grace of God alone. He then compares the lives of the apostles with the lives of the church in order to expose what is really shaping their lives as Corinthians or as Christians. His desire is to get them to evaluate your life. Look at your life. Compare it to our life. Are you living a cross-shaped life or are you living a self-shaped life? That's really the crux of of the passage today. And what Paul is trying to get across. And so far, Paul says, I've applied these things, the bulk of his words in these opening chapters, all of it from beginning to where we're at right now, the first three and a half chapters, four chapters. He's applied it to himself and Apollos and only occasionally giving specific, uh, being, becoming specific towards the Corinthians. But now he's going to get very blunt. He's going to get very straightforward with the church. He says, I want you to learn from us, from our way of life as apostles. Why? So that you don't go beyond what is written. The Corinthians were arrogant, boastful, and divided. Jealousy had spread throughout the church. The Old Testament scriptures actually have a lot to say about those issues. It has a lot to say about what does it mean to be unified as the people of God, and what does it mean to be boasting in men instead of boasting in the Lord and instead of allowing God's word and his standards to guide them, they use their own standards or worldly standards. I'm spiritually mature because I see myself as spiritually mature. And he says, no, actually, don't go beyond what is written. What does God's word say in the Old Testament? And you could even probably jump forward to say, what does God's word say in my letters to you? What am I teaching you? If they follow Paul's example... Because he will say in very soon in the coming chapters, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If they follow Paul's examples, example, and they set themselves under the word of God, then arrogance would flee and unity would prevail. That doesn't mean it's not going to be with hard work. It doesn't mean that they're not going to struggle with it. But for them to set themselves under the word of God, to build the church on the foundation that is Jesus Christ and his word and his truth, which he has said in the previous chapters. A church that is built on the gospel, built on Jesus Christ, built on the word of God, is a healthy church. 
And when boasting arises, it's recognized immediately, dealt with immediately, repented of immediately, and they grow spiritually. But as it is, many in the church in Corinth believe that they are spiritually mature. In fact, more mature than Paul, Apollos, and Peter. And I will tell you, if you think you're more spiritually mature than Paul or Peter, I haven't denied Christ three times, we need to have a conversation. Yes, they're believers in Christ, but their arrogance is ridiculous. That's what Paul is getting at. Paul writes, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you do, did not receive it? Or more literally, why do you boast as if you already had it? You see, the Corinthians are living as if they are who they are by their own doing, their own wisdom, their own strength. I'm spiritually mature because I'm spiritually mature. Because I've studied enough. Because I have a deeper faith than any of you. But the truth is, is that they are who they are by the grace of God. They were not wise enough or strong enough to save themselves from the wrath of God for their sins. In fact, they had to become fools in order to believe, to become weak in order to be saved. And who made such a dramatic change in them? It was God. God did it. And this is not limited to the Corinthians, though, because Paul says of himself in chapter 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's saying, submit yourself underneath who Christ is. You, you are who you are because you have received the grace of God. Why are you living as if you hadn't received it and that you've always had it? And so if God is the source of their salvation, if he is the source of their belief, then where does that leave the Corinthians? Well, to quote John Calvin, this is what he says about this passage, no room is left for taking pride in ourselves when it is by God's grace that we are what we are. (laughs) I'm a believer. Aren't I awesome? Uh, No, you're not. God is awesome. And his grace is awesome. The arrogance and divisions of the church reveal that they have lost sight of their identity. They are who they are because of the work of God in them. Or to repeat Jonathan Edwards' quote, one of my favorites, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So how awesome are you? You put Jesus on the cross. That's where you're at, Corinthians. And yet God still saved you willingly. Because he loves you and he showed his grace to you. That is who you are. And so the only place for your boasting is in the Lord. I mean, he has said that a number of times in these opening chapters. Boast in the Lord, not in yourselves. Boast in the Lord, not in the men around you. Boast in the Lord, not in the things of this world. You are who you are because God, by His grace, has saved you. Glory be to God. And then Paul immediately then rolls into a comparison between the life of the Corinthians and the life of the apostles. And this is where the heavy irony and the sarcasm come into play. Now again, this 
He says, I'm not, I'm not doing this to shame. I'm doing this to teach you. The life of an individual, the life that is publicly lived out by any individual reveals what it is that is shaping him or her. He says so then. Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Do you hear the sarcasm in that? He's using sarcastic hyperbole here. The Corinthians are measuring their success, their spiritual maturity, by the standards of the world. And in essence, to put it in the Mark vernacular, because remember I said last week I have the gift of sarcasm. So I know this well. Oh, so you think you've made it spiritually. You're the mature believers. You're the kings of the faith. Oh, I wish that that were true so that then we as apostles, then we could, we could rule with you, you spiritually mature believers. Now, why would Paul say that he wished to rule with them? Well, he answers it in the next verse, verse 9. He says, for or because, I think that God exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Oh, that Paul and Apollos and the other apostles could be as spiritually mature and successful as the Corinthians because God has displayed the apostles as dead men walking. The apostles have become a spectacle as if they were on stage for a play that everyone sees. Roy Kiampa writes, theologian Roy Kiampa writes, that these words are describing a gladiatorial show where those who are paraded out last were sentenced to death for a crime and were forced to fight to the death before the pleasure of an audience. And Paul is saying, that's who we are as, an apostle, as apostles. Oh, that we might share in your rule and reign, Corinthians, because God in his sovereignty and providence has called us apostles to a life of suffering and death. And oh, if we could rule with you, then we would have no problems and we would have no suffering and we wouldn't die. See, according to the world's standards, the apostles are fools for Christ's sake. But the Corinthians, oh, they're wise in Christ. The apostles are weak, but the Corinthians, they're the strong ones. The Corinthians are held in high honor by the world, but the apostles are held in disgrace. And this all points back to Paul's words in chapter 1 where he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, or even those who are nobodies, to bring nothing to those who think that they are somebodies. He's describing the Corinthians. This is who you are. You were weak. Socially, you were low on the ladder. You were nobodies. But now, now, mature believers, you have forgotten who you were and you think you've always been somebodies. You think you've always been strong. You think you've always been smart and wise. You always think, you think you've always been powerful and of noble birth. You are kings.
The reality is, is that there was nothing in and of themselves which made them worthy of salvation. According to the world's standards, they were nothing. But by God's grace, they became everything. And yet now, they're full of pride and arrogance, forgetting the grace of God and boasting in themselves, even to the point where they believe that they are now more mature spiritually than the apostles of Christ. Oh, what a dangerous road to be on. And so, Paul gives, right after that, a list describing the calling of the apostles. To this present hour, or at this very moment, he says, they are hungry, thirsty, poorly dressed, beaten, homeless, working hard with their hands, which... To us, we're like, no, you need to work hard with your hands. But in those days, something, that was something that was demeaning to those who were of higher uh, social status. You don't work with your hands. That's what you have slaves for. Paul and the apostles got their hands dirty. They were reviled, persecuted, and slandered. To the world, they are scum and trash. Oh, that the apostles could reign on the throne with the kings and queens of Corinth then they wouldn't have to suffer so much for the sake of Christ. Oh, if only the apostles could be as spiritually mature as the Christians, Paul says. Now, he's saying this on purpose because the Corinthians know <laughs> Paul is way more mature spiritually than them. They know this. And he is reminding them. We are more spiritually mature than you, and not boastfully. He's not using that to say, oh, I've made it and you haven't. He's saying, check your own heart. Peter walked with Jesus for three years, denied him three times, was reinstated by Christ three times. All the apostles are willing to die for the sake of Christ. In fact, they all did. And yet it's these Corinthians, these baby believers who have known Christ for only a few years now think that they've made it to the highest level maturity that God could give. Oh, that the apostles could be as spiritually mature as them. The Corinthians were using worldly wisdom, strength, and social position as a measurement for spiritual maturity. But for Paul... God's measurements are the standards. Throughout his letters, not just here, he, Paul takes this stance of, well, he, he even says it in, in, in 1 Corinthians where he says, last and least of all the apostles, Christ called me. I'm not worthy of being called an apostle of Christ, he says. He knows it is only by the grace of God that he is called as an apostle. It's only by the grace of God that he is called to take upon the burden of living the life of an apostle. But by these, spiritual maturity is not measured by worldly standard. It's measured by how much a life reflects and imitates the life and teachings of Christ. Paul is calling the Corinthians to examine their own lives, their own hearts. Are they living as their master lived? 
They may see themselves as kings, but the king of kings humbled himself. He forsook his throne in heaven. He came to earth in the form of a little baby. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. His earthly parents weren't of high society. They they were poor and lowly. To the world, he lived an unremarkable life until the age of 30, where he revealed himself publicly through his teachings that challenged the world's understanding of success and the religious person's understanding of what it means to be faithful to God. And most hated him for it, and so they murdered him on a cross. I said last week, does that sound like a successful ministry in the world's eyes? It doesn't. And yet without that failure, if you want to call it, none of us would be saved. None of us. This is the life that every Christian is called to live in one degree or to one degree or another. Not everyone will be killed for their faith. But everyone, in one form, in one to one degree or another, will be persecuted for their faith. We are called as Christians to live a, faith, a life of faithfulness to God and of good stewardship to His gospel message, of humility and selflessness, willing to sacrifice anything for the sake of Christ, even should it mean being exhibited as last of all like men sentenced to death. We are called to follow the example of Christ. That is the cost of being a Christian. That is the cost of following him and being his disciples. Jesus said it himself in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world rejects Christ and his gospel. It's foolishness to them. But to the one who believes, it is the power of God. In this passage, God is calling us to examine our own hearts and lives. How is my life imitating and glorifying Christ? Now, Katie, Katie asked me this week, my wife asked me this week, she says, How, how's your sermon going? And I said, it is a super convicting passage. Because you start to ask yourself those questions. How, am, how is my life imitating and glorifying Christ? How am I living a cross-shaped life? life? Am I living a a life of obedience? Do others around me know that I'm a Christian? Or in my case, that I'm a pastor? Do my neighbors know that I'm a pastor? Or am I just a guy who's across the street who needs to borrow duct tape every once in a while? But then you go on the flip side. He asks you, how has pride and arrogance arrogance influenced my life? How have the world's standards of success seeped into my life? How do I view and understand faithfulness and success as a follower of Christ? And like Paul says, these questions are not meant to shame us, 
but to teach us. God is growing and maturing all of us who are his children, just as he was the believing Corinthians. God was using Paul. You think you're mature. Have you ever met a 10-year-old kid who thinks that he is the gift to the world? I know everything, you know nothing. You're like 25-year-old, right? I know everything, you know nothing. And I have learned, I'm 44 years old, and I have learned that when I was 10 years old, I thought I knew everything. And when I turned 20, I realized I actually knew nothing at 10. But now at 20, I know everything. And then I turned 30, and I realized, no, Mark, you were an idiot. You didn't know what you were doing. You're not as smart as you thought you were, but at 30, I have. Now, finally, at 40, I went, I'm probably, I'm probably not as smart as I think as I am. I'm probably not as mature as I think that I am. And my hope is that my kids and all of us as a show, we understand that when it comes to maturity for, for the Christian to think that we've made it. Well, yeah, I, I'm more spiritually mature that is true. I hope that's true than I was 10 years ago or five years ago or even one year ago. Then I, I am more spiritually now than I was back then. But man, I have a long way to go. Because as soon as we start to think, oh, I'm the spiritual mature one. I'm the one that people need to come to. Why don't people come to me more? I could set them straight and tell them the word of God and, and teach them. And the reality is, is even as a pastor, Oh man, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. And I hope that I'm more spiritually mature than I was. I hope you as a Christian are more spiritually mature than you were, but you never get to the point that you say, I've made it. I can live my life how I want because I know better. I'm the right one. Well, if we ask these questions to ourselves, the hope is that through the answers of these questions, if there's areas of our life that we are not imitating and glorifying Christ, and in fact, we're bringing Him shame, God is pointing those out to you right now so that we might change those ways, submitting to Him and realizing that by His grace, He will mature us. We can easily get caught up in ourselves. We can easily get caught up in the standards of this world, living a life of pride which forgets that it's only by the grace of God that we are saved and we are made His own. And Paul gives a reason in chapter 1 as to why God chose the weak, the powerless, the foolish, and the nobody Corinthians, or the nobody Elm Creekers. And he says in the very next verse, why did he choose the weak? Why did he choose the powerless and the foolish? God chose them. God saved them so that no human might, being might boast in the presence of God. We who believe today are saved because of God's grace. We are who we are because of him, not because of us. And so our lives are to imitate and reflect Christ. To point others to Him, not to us. 
not to us as a church and not to us individually, but to him, to be given all the glory and honor and praise. So this Advent season and communion time, can we ask ourselves those questions? Again, not out of shame, not to belittle ourselves and say how horrible we are, but to go, God, where are you calling me to change? Where are you calling me, God, to to lean into your grace, to understand that you, you want to change me and you are changing me. I mean, to be humble as your son was humble, not to think of myself any more than I ought to, to sit my, submit myself under the true king, Jesus Christ, who came as a little baby, lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father, died the death that we deserved and right now is ruling and reigning in heaven sitting on his throne where he belongs and the day is going to come when we will stand before that throne and worship him and glorify him for what he who he is and what he did for us and to us so as we take communion we remember this this is kind of an an odd thing, we're remembering that he was born, right? It's Advent, and then we're remembering that he died. He came to earth to die. This was the purpose of why he came as a little baby. And so, as we take this communion together, as we sit and we ponder this and we think this through, let, let these, those questions that I asked them, let them soak in, let them, in a sense, burden us in a good way and submit ourselves to Christ and say, where, God, do, do I need to let go of my arrogance and my pride and turn to you and submit to you and be humble before you and before men? And remember, and give him the praise and glory, by your grace you have saved us, not by any works of my own, so that I might boast in you and not in myself. So when you are ready, you can form a line in the back, grab a cup, grab the bread, together, then sit it down, and then together as a family, a church family, the family of God, we will take communion together. You don't need to be a member. You don't need to be a regular attender. We just ask that you are a believer in Christ, and you will be held accountable for that if you are not, and you take this in an unworthy manner, God will hold you accountable for that. But we don't have communion, please. We ask that you come as God's child, take the communion, sit down, and then together we will worship him and remember who we are in Christ. So when you are ready, come to the table.